Okay, here we are. Live right now. We're not really live. We're live for us, of course. Um, welcome to another episode of Just Another Bozo on the Bus. Um, today, we are honored to have Perry Joe Peterson with us. This is episode six. Did I say that? I can't remember. Okay, no. thanks, Perry. Um, Perry, uh, you, as I've told you before, a little bit about um, what this what this show is about, what this podcast does. It really talks about um, some of the, the trials and tribulations that we've been through in life and how we found out how to connect with people and communities and whether it be heal things from our past. Um, we like to start off and kind of talk a little bit about, um, in this case, your story. What, when did you discover your bozo-ness, so to speak? And uh, how did you get here? How, when I say here, I don't mean just, you know, here at Lighthouse, but mm-hmm. how did you get here? Um, I guess, I mean, just dive right in. I um That's here. a good, good thing to do. Just dive right in. <laughs> Let's see. I know Paul because when I was 22, in 2015, I was um, severely lost in my alcoholism. And I, um, I came over to the Salt Lake Valley to get help and to stop drinking. And um, I went to a lovely facility where I learned a lot <laughs> about myself and about the human psyche and um, how people end up where they do. Or I learned a lot about myself. But um, where did you come from? Uh, I so I grew up in rural northern Nevada. Um, uh, I my. I have quite the country lifestyle, actually. I My mom married into a ranching family when I was eight years old. And, um, yeah, so that's why I ended up outside of Elko, Nevada. Mm-hmm. Um, it's in northern Nevada. And, uh, but some of my first memories as a kid were, like, being on the pro rodeo trails with my mom. Um I've how, the, how young were you when you how young do those memories go back? Um, like pretty, like young, like three years. Oh, okay, yeah. so toddler age. Yeah. yeah, so you were really small. Yeah, I was. Yeah, and that was briefly when we were living down in El Paso, Texas, um, before my mom settled down. But she, my, um. <laughs> It's funny how much I know now, like how my family dynamic plays mm-hmm. a role in the person that I, that you met uh-huh. <laughs> back at Wasatch. Yeah. Um, but so, yeah, I grew up on a cattle ranch basically, and I'm the only one in my, I quit rodeo when I was in middle school. I'm the only one in my family that doesn't really do that lifestyle anymore, but everyone in my family pretty much battles with alcoholism. Um, my, Grandparents, pretty much, my, I only got to meet one of my grandparents. Um, the rest had had um, passed away before I was born. Um, and my my dad, my mom's dad, he was he was an outlaw, and he died with 
like a six shooter in each hand. Yeah. Now, when you get so when you say outlaw, yeah, you, you're you're using that word literally, right? Yes, literally. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, and um, the reason why I mention it is because that played a huge role in how my mom came up, um, and she was, you know, taught to be insanely loyal to the point where it's unhealthy mm-hmm. where you're lying for mm-hmm. people and um and i mean she my upbringing was far different from from what my mother came up with but she mm-hmm. definitely instilled that um sense of loyalty into yeah and holding the secrets for the family no, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I get it we yeah. know, all know about holding secrets for the yeah. family so when when i came to get help I, you know, had I hadn't discovered that yet that the way I protected my mom and you know um, the way I was brought up when really <laughs> that's not healthy, you know. <laughs> but um, so yeah, we've got to let somebody know really what's going on. You, you kind of did a little jump over there, and um, I realized when in the very beginning when you said. So my my mom married into this ranching family mm-hmm. when I was eight, mm-hmm. but before that, you know, that was when she was settling down. That was when, when she, she was settling down. When she married into the ranching right. family, but before that, she she married her father being an outlaw, right? Mm-hmm. But she kind of married an outlaw too initially, right? Your, <laughs> yeah, your, my dad. Your dad. Your yeah. Yeah, my real dad. Um, or bio dad. You can yeah. <laughs> Um, he, uh, yeah, he was, he wasn't a cowboy. He was a guy in a band. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Uh, the choices we make in life. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Um, but yeah, my dad had a kind of gnarly backstory as well. Um, his brother and his dad died in a plane crash when he was 19. And then his mom died shortly after of cancer. Um, and so he was handed a bunch of money and kind of blew it. And, um, hmm. yeah, when my mom met him, he was, he was like 29 or so. And she was like 19. Oh my. Yeah. yeah. And she was an out of towner and she wasn't from Elko. So he had like head hunted her and they, uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. He, when you, you say head, head hunted, what are you referring to? He didn't, he knew every single girl from Elko. Oh. He didn't know who she was. He was a man about town. Yes, yes. He was a kind of a big fish in a little, a little pond. Gotcha. He was like driving around like an Aston Martin, like 20. <laughs> oh. I'm pretty sure that's what he got his first DUI in. Um, but seven DUIs later, he. <laughs> He doesn't have the money and uh an Elko man of mystery instead of the international <laughs> man of mystery. Yeah. Um so yeah, he uh he after the seventh DUI he, he doesn't really have I'm he's a he's an abrasive person. Um I'd be saying completely different things about him if you would have asked me this like seven yeah. years ago. Well, but, uh, I, I do remember. I do remember when we first met. You had a slightly different conversation. So, if we go back about three years, right, yeah. which is about when we met, um, your conversation about your biological father was different than it was a few years later, because of you know doing some healing with him. Mm-hmm, so, for sure, yeah, and and watching you go through that process was really fascinating to. 
to see, you know, how you, I mean, that's maybe the thing about, you know, kind of getting more of a clear head and a clear heart Yeah. that uh, we learn to be a little bit more vulnerable and maybe begin to practice forgiveness in mm-hmm. some ways. And, mm-hmm. and uh, so when I, I look back at that, I can see, ah, watching your, your own process there. Yeah, that, I mean, my narrative has changed dramatically mm-hmm. about my fa- family stuff mm-hmm. and where I came from and being damaged, you know. I don't really feel like I was damaged mm-hmm. now. I mean, but... So what what are, what are your earliest memories with your mom and, and sort of uh, right in your house, I mean, right in your home when it comes to the alcohol and, and sort of how that played into the, the dynamics of you growing up. What, what do yeah. you remember early on? Um, like early on in my childhood, she never used to drink mm. when I was a kid. She okay. was always that mom that was there like 110%. And all my friends loved her. Like she was that mom that just everyone knew and loved. Mm-hmm. Um, I would I would say that her drinking and my drinking kind of started around the same time, and it's when I moved out of the house. Really, there's, so there's parallels with with both of you, as far mm-hmm. as your alcohol consumption. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, touching on like the loyalty thing, it's like me and my mom has never we've never been able able to differentiate bet- between like mom and friend, uh-huh. and. I know you know this, but mm-hmm. like I defended her and would not talk about her when I was in treatment and going through, you know, the initial stages of group therapy mm-hmm. and opening up. And I just like was not about to sit and talk about my mom because I didn't want to badmouth her, sure. you know. But well, c- circle the wagons. We protect. We, we protect our family systems. Mm-hmm. We want to because maybe even if it is somewhat, I mean. <laughs> uh, I guess they've taken the word dysfunctional family out of certain, um, you know, diagnosis criteria or, you know, within, regarding family systems. But everyone has, you know, everyone has a family that has issues and problems. And there is no really poster child family out there. Mm-mm. Everyone's got stuff to work on. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, so, yeah, her and I, my drinking kind of started around the same time. And then... She's been always been the breadwinner in the family. She gets up at four in the morning. Mm-hmm. She gets home the latest. And my pops, my stepdad, who I dearly love, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, he he cooks a lot, you know, and he like. But he's a rancher, right? Yeah, yeah, he's an old school kind of guy. His old school values and stuff, but he's also a really progressive, loving, compassionate human being. And he he's the cook pretty much in our family. Mm-hmm. And, um, I'm grateful to have a not so traditional upbringing. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, um, my mom and I, I moved out of the house when I was 18 and I went, lived in Reno, Nevada with my boyfriend and I, I started drinking a lot down there. Um, and then by the time I left Reno, which was like two or three years later, I was a full blown alcoholic. Uh-huh. I was drinking at work. Um, before work. Oh, this was the water bottle. Yeah, yeah. You kept your your was it vodka? I, uh-huh. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. I would like go chug vodka in the bathroom. Um, I 
hadn't gone through like this was just like stage one of my alcoholism (laughs) because when I was in Reno um no one really knew and I was still kind of hiding it um but I uh ended up moving back home with my parents and um my boyfriend and I broke up and um I thought I was going to go home to get my feathers together (laughs) and I did the complete opposite. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) What was the complete opposite? Because you're already in what you're describing as, you know, kind of full-blown alcoholism. Mm -hmm. So what, what, (laughs) instead of going home and getting things together, (laughs) what did you do? I tore that town down. (laughs) (laughs) Don't know why we're laughing, but it sounds funny in some ways. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I I've always had a sucks. <laughs> I've I've always had not a very good concept of rules and um when I got back home and I don't know, I was old enough to go out on the town. Mm-hmm. Actually I wasn't. I was like twenty. But in Elko I I just no one really ID'd me. Well, you're, you're local. It's your town. I mean, mm-hmm. it does come with some probably some benefits that maybe aren't always the healthiest benefits, but it's, that, that happens. I mean, I grew up in a smaller town in Connecticut, and I remember yeah. the same kind of thing. Um, of course, the drinking age when I grew up was 18. And so, you know, there were people that were selling beer and you know, alcohol to us at 16. Yeah. You know, and, yeah. Just looking the other way. It's just a sm- small town mm-hmm. kind of thing. But, um, yeah, I went... I mean, it was the first time I'd ever really been single, um, too. So... <laughs> <laughs> um, had a lot of fun. But it got to the point where I was drinking at least a fifth of vodka a day. And um, all the people that... Well, not all the people, but the, like my friend, who was pretty much my partner in crime the whole time, mm-hmm. she, by this time, she had pulled up the reins, and she was like, I'm not enabling me anymore. She's like, I'm not going to hang out with you anymore if you're drinking and mm-hmm. stuff. So, um, but it, it was really bad, <laughs> and this is the f- around, like when I started going through withdrawals, too. And having to balance actually staying drunk so I didn't go through a withdrawal. So you didn't go through a withdrawal. So what was that like with your, when you're, this is your best friend, I'm going to guess, that, mm-hmm. that said, you know, that sort of set a boundary with you. Was this like the first time a friend had done that that you remember? Or? Mm, yeah. Okay. I mean, yeah. Absolutely. And how did you, what did you do? Did you just kind of cut things off with her? Or did you Did you attempt to... Um, stay connected. No, we we stayed connected. I was a little hurt, and I projected things onto her, you know. But we didn't, burn, you know, burn a bridge by any means. Um, okay. Had no. some victim narrative in there is what, what you're saying. What's you that? had a little bit of victim stance in there. I did. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah. I mean. Yeah, I was upset mm-hmm. uh, at her, but. Yeah, and I made up, like, 
weird reasons why she would do it to me mm. or like this must be because she thinks this and not because I really have a problem yeah you know, right. when it's, it's like this isn't really about the alcohol <laughs> no when it, but that's what <laughs> or my behavior that's what addicts do is they just sit there and justify mm-hmm. it um, but looking back now I'm appreciative um, but it hurt sure. initially for yeah. sure and I didn't even stop then. I started hanging out with people that I normally wouldn't hang out with. And then... And the people that wouldn't hold boundaries yeah. with you regarding drinking that, in fact, maybe encouraged you to. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that kind of stuff. Normal. But um, uh, my mom got a hold of the treatment center in, I think, for the first time in, like, October of 2014. Mm-hmm. Um. And then I ended up checking in in March of 2015. Three years ago. Yeah, my three years without a drink is on Wednesday. Congratulations. <laughs> Thanks. Is that incredible? It's so incredible. <laughs> I get so excited about it. Like, it's way cooler than my birthday. Yeah. Like, who needs birthdays yeah. now? Right. So, the, do you think there was a time where you, at the, you know, during all that, that you couldn't really imagine your life without alcohol at oh, some point? Oh goodness, yes. <laughs> I didn't even know how or what was going to happen or how they were going to. I mean, yeah, I was so severely lost um, and had built up these walls that. Um, it was really hard for me to be vulnerable with anyone. But um, once I started going through detox and stuff, and <laughs> it was, it was, I was so negative, but um, about how I would, who would, I just was so lost. I didn't know what was going to happen mm-hmm. or what I needed at that time. Um, but, Thankfully, I had agreed to go, and, you know, there were people there for me when I couldn't be there for myself who mm. knew exactly what to do with me, you know? And I was negative about going into treatment. I was like, fuck yoga. <laughs> <laughs> fuck yoga. Yeah, I don't... like. Not really. I mean, I love yoga, so... <laughs> no, me too. Now I'm obsessed. But, um, you know, I was just like, these people can't. They aren't going to be able to help me you know mm-hmm. and i was so closed off mm-hmm. um but eventually i trusted the process trusted the process yeah and really it's we're helping ourselves it's not not i mean yes it, the the counselors and the coaches and all the different facilitators are creating an environment that for for people to work in but it's it's you know you did all the work i mean this is your, your process and yeah. your journey yeah yeah um, yeah, but the, I mean, I, I went to the right place for sure. And the family that I made and the people that I got to meet that are, you know, still sober, mm-hmm. um, that's, that's priceless. Yeah. yeah. Those kind of connections and hearing other people's stories all the time taught mm-hmm. me so much about myself and mostly taught me that I wasn't alone because I felt so alone. 
that's really one of the the common themes, right? Is that isolation and loneliness. Even if we're around a lot of people, we don't really feel vulnerable or connected to them in in a healthy way, which is, you know, what what maybe addiction's all about. Uh, John and John, uh, uh, Johan Hari, in his book, Chasing the Scream, talks about that that idea that addiction, the opposite of addiction is not sobriety. It's about connection. And mm-hmm. the research is showing that now, that really one of the things that we notice in, in in human beings as well as a number of animals is that we are social creatures. We need to be connected, to mm-hmm. be healthy, and to have you know strong connections with people and to build trust and intimacy. Yeah. We, I... We've got to put ourselves out there. Mm-hmm. That's huge. I remember you teaching us about that. Do you, do you, you know the? Uh, I, I look back over those times, and and you did you did sober living. You had that experience, and mm-hmm. it was, uh, of course, back then it was uh, at another local facility mm-hmm. um, that had an apartment building. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it's kind of interesting, I think, and a lot of people when they 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 think about sober living, they think, oh yeah, everyone's there sober, you know, but. It, it's just a cross section of reality. I mean, yeah. and in some ways, you know, having forty or fifty addicts living in an apartment building together, you know, there's a, a percentage of them that are not sober. Yeah. It's <laughs> so you not... see all the same. You see all the same shit. It's just kind of coming down a little bit differently, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's kind of a catch because. The idea is that everyone's going to be supportive and take care of each other and be uh-huh. sober, but you're you're faced with the reality that there were people in treatment who all along didn't even want to be sober right um but thank you know thankfully that wasn't me like i genuinely needed help and i wasn't just trying to like change my sentencing or you know something with with the drugs in the uh, in this case i mean for you for primarily alcohol with taking that aside when when you kind of look back and and um, explore this for yourself. Um, what, what other types, you know, again, alcohol being the symptom. When, when you look back and you, and you kind of see the, all this progress you've made, you know, here you are three years, and to have this sort of newfound, um, you know, enjoyment and, and, and depth and quality and richness to your life, what do you, what do you see as some of the other issues that maybe were underlying for you at this time that you know, the alcohol was used to treat or a way to to self-medicate. As far as, like, are we still talking about sober living? No, no I'm I, in any way. And, I mean, during any of your time that you've kind of, you've experienced this over the last three years, we, in my own life, I mean, I can look at the things that, I also have had did in in obsessive compulsive ways or addictive ways. Um, work is one of them. I, oh, I, I have I a tendency you. to, you know, um, probably overwork at times. Um, I, I used to, um, I say used to, <laughs> because sometimes I still may have an issue with this, but it's far less. Is you know, like um, binge watching, like yeah. things like that. And I notice those as as some some type of isolating you know, ways of, of coping, um, you know, and what I've learned is a little bit of moderation is, is okay to moderate those things, but it's also noticing the tendency of, you know, kind of going back to some old behaviors, oh, which okay. kind of disconnect. So, um, I mean, whether it be food, money, you know, sex, um, 
you know, a media, th- those kinds of things. So, um, <clears throat> my biggest one for sure is isolating, and um, yeah, I have to be careful because sometimes I can get into my own little world. Um, isolating, treating, yeah, I'm not treating my. <laughs> We've talked about this. I, I need to eat better. Like, okay. I've lost of... It's like, now that I've hit three years, it's like, okay, what are you doing next? Like, what are you doing now that's taking mm-hmm. care of your body? Because now that you don't drink, like, it's just it's just a choice you make every day. It's not, it's not you know, like, a huge part of my everyday life. Mm-hmm. Um, like it was when I first started when my recovery was a full-time job. Now it's just like, what are you doing next? Right. And I've noticed that I've surely isolate. Um, and I've kind of, I wish that I, um, I mean, I'm in touch with my family, family from who I got sober with, mm-hmm. but I, I, I sometimes wish that I would put myself out there more socially um, because, yeah, it's not healthy for me to... I mean, I like to be by myself, and I think that's a huge part of, like, self-love is being able to sit in a room by yourself and not be uncomfortable with, you know, like, who you're looking back Mm -hmm. at in the mirror. But (laughs) I isolate so much that it's like, I... Now that... Um, I, I mean, I've never been the pers- type of person to have like a huge group of friends that mm-hmm. I hang out with all the time. Like I, right. I've always been the type of person who just like has one friend for all my needs. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I've noticed here lately that I definitely need to put myself out there more socially and okay. because my friend that I, that I spend a lot of time with and we're coming a little, we're becoming a little bit codependent <laughs> and, and um, I mean, I'll openly talk to her about it and we joke about it and stuff, but the reality is, like, we need more friends. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> need to get out more is what you're saying yeah. in certain ways. Well, and, and so, I mean, an, another side of this, too, is, you know, I mean, people look at other mental health issues you know, like depression and anxiety, and anxiety is one of those things that um, probably is a lot more rampant, I think, especially in our culture, mm-hmm. than we probably acknowledge. Mm-hmm. I, I've learned this with my, um, with my children. Um, the, and there's 20 years apart between my oldest and my youngest. Mm-hmm. And the anxiety issues that my youngest has compared to the anxiety issues my oldest child has, the, the sense of um, what's changed that a lot of it is the information age or the media age mm-hmm. or the, you know, the device, the smart device. Yeah, the internet's um, weird. Yeah, and it's, it's changed so much. Mobile devices have really changed, and they have created a lot of additional anxiety and stress, mm-hmm. especially in youth. Um, sometimes that gets misdiagnosed as other problems, whether it be ADD or ADHD or um, conduct, conduct uh, disorders or, or things like that. Um, so one of the ways that I, I know that some of those things get dealt with are, are kind of being more connected to really what's true for us, like finding those things that really resonate. And one of the things that you've shared with recently was, you know, this passion you have for photography. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember looking at some of the photographs you had shown. And, uh, of course, we can't do that here. Um, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> and not that we need to. But, you know, what was it? 
because this is something you've had a passion for for a long time, right? I mean, that you yeah. really, you knew that this was something that brought you a lot of joy and fulfillment. Um, yeah, I've always been a creative person, um, kind of to the point where it's just, I it's I don't know how to channel it sometimes, because mm-hmm. I love fashion, I love interior design, like I love, I can make jewelry, I can do your hair, like I, I... Um, I love that kind of stuff, but it was just, I, I, I wasn't channeling it, it in the right way, mm-hmm. I guess, until I learned more about photography, I feel like, hmm. um, just being able to make other people see what you see. Um, I don't know. It's, hmm. there's something wholesome about it for me well there's definitely a, a, a deep you, design element in it because yeah. you bring in you have so many factors especially when you know if i mean it's it's actually one of the most creative aspects to um it's it's one of those creative outlets like i i play a lot of music so that uh-huh. that's does something similar for me um but the visual aspect of photography is so deep because there's so many different components to it right yeah. especially if you're doing ex- exterior shoots which i've seen you know the ones that you've shown me um and i, I can tell and just by the way you talk about it you know, <laughs> how 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 important it is to you yeah i well i've learned how important it is to find things that feed your soul mm-hmm. i mean you can sit i can surely sit in a room by myself and love myself but i have to be doing something mm-hmm. um in order for me to just feel really fulfilled. And um, for me, what I, you know, what my full-time job does not correlate with my career. You know, I'm, I feel like my career is totally separate from like the desk job I'm working right now. Um, And I don't know. I took a film photography class when I was in college and then it just kind of, I lo- I surely lost touch with my creative side when mm-hmm. I was drinking and mm-hmm. stuff, but now I'm kind of rounding it all back up and figuring out where I want to channel it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I was kind of actually excited to see like the setup today because I I I've been I've been thinking about like cinematography and like mm-hmm. other mediums and but um, yeah, photography is is really cool for me because I've been putting myself out there and I've been getting like a good response and it's cool to know that people dig what you're doing and trust you and I don't know it feels like I'm relating to someone again Mm -hmm. and use Mm. you know yeah like with what you said that like relating to people is the opposite of um, not being sober. Yeah. So. Yeah, ad- addiction is not the opposite of addiction is connection. It's it's being yeah. vulnerable and learning how to connect with people again. And yeah, um, addiction is just the opposite because it's even if we're around other people using, we're not connected to them in a vulnerable, mm-hmm. intimate way. In fact, it's somewhat just the opposite. Even though, my gosh, you know. People often think that, that you know they're having the time of their lives. <laughs> <laughs> it does. It does change. Yeah. So. Yeah, I surely think that 
um, that people are kind of receiving what I what I put my time and energy into well, and that makes my heart feel a little bit full, yeah. a little bit more full. So you, I, you said something about earlier about being in a rodeo family. I wonder if there's some kind of, some, some values in there that you learn about life. Um, do you know what I'm saying? There's sort of like a lifestyle or something about yeah. rode, rodeo. I, I don't know if I'm, if I'm accurate or not, but is there something that you learn from that kind of environment and having the family kind of have that as, as part of their focus? <clears throat> I mean, you, in some ways you and I are kind of opposites because I grew up on the water. You know, mm-hmm. and, and so like sailing was a big part of mm-hmm. my family growing up. Like everyone sailed. Mm-hmm. You know, so we were talking about this um, a couple of weeks ago with someone that this, because uh, my mother used to say, um, what was it? Uh, you, you you know you're you're really learning to sail when you know you're in the middle of a storm, right? You know that 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 quality of of learning something, and I think there's got to be some comparisons in a rodeo life because there are such challenges in that. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, I have a great appreciation about my upbringing. Um, back in the day when I was a kid, I was like bummed that I didn't live in town or um, any reason. But um, surely it teaches um, you a lot. I think you kind of, um, <laughs> and my brother brother will argue with me on this one, but it kind of, you're forced to have common sense, you know, uh-huh. where you're on top of a, of a horse <clears throat> and you're like, the horse, you know, I mean... <laughs> You just have to know your horse, um, your family is mm-hmm. like your teammates, kind mm-hmm. of. I mean, I didn't do a lot of cowboying when I was a kid, but there were days where my parents would throw me on a horse at like seven in the morning, and I'm like, what am I doing? <laughs> Why do you guys? But, um, and then, I mean, yeah, it teaches you teamwork, common sense, for sure, just... Um, and then, like, also, you, what, it, the ecosystem about, like, ranching the, the land, mm-hmm. um, just, I don't know. I remember going to school in elementary school, and I never came off as, like, a Western kid. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would, like, sit next to girls, and they would have galloping horses on their binders mm-hmm. <laughs> and notebooks and stuff. Uh, sure, sure. And I'm like, you have no idea. You have no idea. We have to get up so early in the morning. I mean, I don't anymore. Like, right, I right. was such but a... But you bo- did. You grew up yeah. You grew up on a ranch. And yeah. so you're... And and you have a, a whole different relationship with animals and nature yeah. by doing that. Yeah. Um, I mean, I have a huge appreciation for animals mm-hmm. um a lot of people think that the like ranching rodeo community is terrible to their livestock but um those livestock are they're like pampered compared to you know like the cows mm-hmm. that you're eating and mm-hmm. stuff yeah um these you know livestock is worth a lot of money and it was our whole you know it's your livelihood yeah yeah, yeah. You, you if you don't take care of it you you lose it right yeah, yeah. and like we stopped having cattle somewhere in my in my I want to say like teenage years Mm -hmm. um so I didn't do it wasn't like a hardcore ranching Uh 
environment, but it was surely a, a Western yeah. cowboy environment where we had cowboys coming through our driveway with their rigs and we had an arena and mm-hmm. um, the kids were always practicing rodeo. And now it's kind of, we've turned into like this rodeo <laughs> because rodeo like family, because my cousin um, by marriage he he is a pro steer wrestler, and mm-hmm. he's made the NFR, mm-hmm. the National Finals Rodeo, like the past four five years. Mm-hmm. Um, and he does like really good every time he goes. So he's like a pro, ro- like he's a rodeo mm-hmm. star mm-hmm. now. And we, um, you know, the family like will go down to Vegas every Christmas and mm-hmm. watch him. And um, but well, it's part of the it's part of your lifestyle. It's, yeah, it's literally. Part of the, it's really, I mean, if they, if, if they were to say, you know, what the culture and traditions yeah. are in the family, yeah. um, you know, whether you know, we talk about it from, you know, ranching, but rodeos just equally is part of that. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And it feels like a way to connect. Right? Yeah, right. it's like a way of cowboys to yeah. channel their, their, I don't know, talents. Um, it's... It's a pretty interesting lifestyle and it's rodeo isn't just a sport it's a lifestyle because you can't um you can't just do rodeo without having a lot of land where you can put your horses and you have to have a, a horse trailer so you can haul them places mm-hmm. and you have to have a truck so you can mm-hmm. haul, haul those right and it's 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 not just a you know a sport that you jump into and you're like I'm rodeoing now it's like mm-hmm. It's surely a lifestyle, yeah. um, but the drinking kind of goes hand in hand <laughs> with the rodeo lifestyle too. That, that seems there's some definitely some truth in that, right? Yeah, yeah. It's wild. Hmm. It's wildly fun, but it's like you're on the pro rodeo trail. You're just mm-hmm. traveling. One one day you're in Colorado, and the next mm-hmm. you're in Canada, and. You, you know, with, with drinking um, and you being, I mean, again, you know, three years now and um, and your family system is, you know, got, there's still people in your family system that, that drink. How, how do you, how do you guys get along now? How would you describe that? Because, um, you know, one of the, one of the things that I notice a lot of times, even though sometimes family members don't stop themselves, they end up finding they either find respect for the person that has chosen a, a different life if you want to call it a more sober or connected life um but they know that they have their own stuff that they still have to deal with or work on as well so where does that where does that kind of fit in with you and your family dynamic now <clears throat> i'm sorry say that again the question as far as you know um you you stopped drinking, but you mm-hmm. still have you know your, I, I believe your mom or your How's it? or your um, okay. your yeah your brothers or whatever you still have. I mean, how does that fit in as far as yeah, alcohol, the boundaries and, and and respect goes? Alcohol still plays a pretty big role in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, my real dad, bio dad. <laughs> <laughs> Um, my word bio dad. Right? He uh, he's on and off relapsing with drinking. Um, when I first went into treatment, he had like started to pull up the reins because his best friend from high school ended up dying of alcoholism. Mm -hmm. And after like 
nearly 60 years of doing it, mm-hmm. I guess he decided to pull up the reins because his friend died. So it's funny, right before I was going into treatment, my dad, who had been a drunk my whole entire life, was all of a sudden sober and was, like, kind of supportive. Mm-hmm. And um, so, yeah, but he didn't stick with it, which is fine. I mean, it's... Back when I was initially, you know, going over my my life and, you know, group therapy and mm-hmm. what, what, um, I, uh, yeah, I had a huge chip on my shoulder about my dad, but, um, I've learned to accept him and to understand that he's human, but he, he now that he's on and off relapsing and it's, it's frustrating, but, um, you know, I've learned that I can't hold on to all that negativity. Mm-hmm. And the same goes for my family with my mom. Mm-hmm. And, um, well, isn't, isn't that kind of that important part of like taking accountability for our own lives where we, we realize we may not feel like we support necessarily how our parents or siblings or, you know, friends are choosing to live their life. Mm-hmm. But instead of being angry or feel victimized by them, we get to a place where we we of acceptance where mm-hmm. we then either can choose to you know forgive and and move on and accept accountability for our lives, or we can kind of stay miserable, right? I yeah, mean- <laughs> exactly. That's exactly it. Is like I I could sit around and like be pissed off at my dad still, but it's fully exhausting to to have that much hateful energy towards mm-hmm. someone, you know, especially someone who's like your dad. Mm-hmm. And um I mean that was a different story because I always had some sort of coping me- mechanism when it came to my father mm-hmm. because he was never really there in my youth. Um I mean, he wanted to be there and he like tried, but he was just so abrasive or drunk or just mean mm-hmm. projecting his own hurtful you know mm-hmm. things onto us and it's just so I always had it some... was too hard for him to be around himself I yeah mean, again how yeah. do you connect vulnerably with family when you're living so, you feel so miserable yeah. in life right? so like that was always you know something I had to deal with but um, when when I had to come face to face with my mom's um, drinking habits. That was really hard for me um, because it it kind of, you know, feels like my foundation as a human being is just, is kind of crumbling mm-hmm. in front of you. Yeah. And, and, it, and it makes you question, you know, who you are and what, um, how you let it affect you. Well, and and I, I would think that that would be hard too, because, I mean, you and your mom kind of started drinking together. You mm-hmm. you were saying at the same time, and there was a sort of some blurriness, maybe a lot of grayness between the relationship of being friends and mm-hmm. being a mom, and and that's, I mean, I, as a parent, I, I I've kind of been in that no man's land either. I think of it as like there's there's no it's a zero sum game. There's no winning by, you know, I mean, the, it's a short win. 
to be friends with your kids, you Mm -hmm. know, because you get to share that friendly moment. But the truth of the matter is the dynamic, uh, the best thing a parent can do is to be a parent. Yeah. And I mean, it doesn't mean we're not humans, right? That we don't, we don't share and enjoy the same things and, and, and we don't support each other. But that, that role and that dynamic of being a parent um, does, it it does morph. It doesn't, it's not a constant. It it obviously changes. Yeah. And in this kind of case, it would seem that the, the challenges to that, um, having been so close for so long also can play into that and sometimes make it hard too because it's not just your mom it was someone you you know it was it was a, a drinking confidant. buddy I guess yeah. for a while well yeah um I mean it was we didn't do a lot of drinking together okay. like she would come visit me in Reno and we'd like have a wild like a wild night or something uh-huh. and okay. go out dancing <laughs> Um, but when I moved home and we were drinking, it was like we were drink- drinking separately. Okay. Um, because I was reactive to her um, drunken persona or whatever. Mm-hmm. I was super reactive to mm-hmm. that person before I got into treatment. Oh. Yeah. Um, she, yeah. There had been a few instances where... Um, yeah, she said some things she didn't mean, or she was just viciously drunk and mean. And Alcohol speak? Yeah. Right, yeah, right, yeah. That's um, <laughs> Drunk talk. Yeah, drunk talk is not always the best talk, by all means. No. We all can, uh, at some point, can share yeah. that, that moment. So, um, yeah, I just had to get to a place where I, I you know, out of... I just have to have some empathy and, you know, I can't, Mm -hmm. I can't keep dragging around that hateful um, reaction to her every time she drinks or else. Anger and resentment. Yeah. Yeah. Or else it'll ruin my mood for like days at a time. And, you know, I just want her to feel supported and loved Mm -hmm. and to know that she has you know people she can turn to and options and stuff and and i know that she tries really really hard you know that's really such a great point perry that idea of being an open loving support system for someone even though we know that it may be hard or we struggle with the behaviors i mean um and and all the things that are associated with that but to be able to find that place where it's okay, where we accept that person the way they are and not have to look at them where we want them to be. They're coming from a place yeah. of, you know, acknowledging that really the acceptance piece and the and the part of, of being um, an open, loving, compassionate person, I'm not talking about, you know, we don't set boundaries with people, but the idea of that part is up to us. Yeah. There's no reason why we can't have empathy and compassion mm-hmm. because... You know, I mean, you you know what it's like. To That's be there. exactly it. Yeah. It's like if anyone knows what it's like to be lost mm-hmm. and confused, it's totally me. Mm-hmm. And I've been there, and I just, yeah. The best thing you can do, I think, that is least exhausting for you is to just come to a place of acceptance. Mm. And just remember that that person's human and that, you know, they love you and that you love them. Yeah. And um, 
not to ostracize them. Yeah, really good point. Really because good point. when she, <laughs> it's just better for everyone. I mean, when she feels ganged up on, mm-hmm. it makes it so much worse. Oh, sure. Well, that never works. I no. Mean, it and often like, pushes people away. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. it's like, um, my brother and I have always, always been super supportive of our stepdad and like made sure that, you know, he knows that we we support and love him and stuff mm-hmm. and that we're glad that he's around mm-hmm. because he surely is like a rock. Um, mm-hmm. But sometimes my mom, um, that doesn't translate into my mother is like, we're being lo- a loving family. She mm-hmm. feels ganged up on. Yeah. And it's like, when, you know, we're all just here because we love you. Yeah, right. <laughs> well, and it's easy to feel like you're being scapegoated when the attention is drawn yeah. based upon any type of addictive behavior. It can, often <clears throat> that person can ostracize themselves because they, they don't want to deal with the issues that are surrounding them. Mm-hmm. And that's pretty normal in family systems. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. yeah, yeah, and I've kind of even noticed a difference from when I was super reactive to her mm-hmm. to now. So where I can, I can sometimes sit and talk with her and we have profound conversations about alcoholism Mm -hmm. and she, I don't know, like she was raised to be so just like protective over anything that was going on, family stuff, just, you know, circling the wagons. Yeah. Yeah. And the reality of it is, is like, your father was shot and killed when you were 26. And have you ever grieved Mm -hmm. for him? Because I think you should, you know, it's time. Yeah. And she's so scared to open that box of her childhood. Right. She's so scared. Right. And I mean, I don't blame her Mm -hmm. because (laughs) she had a pretty wild upbringing. Yeah. Um, But... She's so strong, too, that I just, like, I don't know. I want the best for her, and I'm hoping. Yeah. I I don't want her to feel like that she she can't come to me and talk to me. Mm -hmm. And now that I've become a little bit more accepting, I feel like that she's more apt to come to me if she needs something rather than just suppress it. Beautiful. Beautiful. I'm, I'm going to shift a little bit here, if that's okay. I mean, it's going a little bit back, but it's also um, kind of shifting because um, I, I mentioned earlier the idea of growing up on a ranch and how you develop this deep respect for animals. And animals have been <laughs> uh, an important part of your life as much as I've known you. And you you had some trauma recently with your with your cat. I oh was my thinking God. about. We well, need to have a podcast of just this. Yeah, right. like I said, <laughs> we um, could, we could do, we could do no. that. But, um, I'm kidding. But. I mean, you know, this this animal animal whisperer thing. <laughs> but oh. it's true. You do have something here, and you do have a um, the way you hold your uh, relationship with animals seems to be as if you would with anyone. I mean, yeah, you have this deep connection and respect, mm-hmm. um, even when they're driving you crazy so, oh goodness yeah yeah this 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 story of finding your cat was just remarkable yeah 
Yeah. Because um, you, I mean, and, and not to mention the accident itself. You were, uh, for our listeners, uh, Perry was in a uh, automobile accident when the, the during a storm. Uh, this is what a month ago or two. Um, December twenty second. Yeah. So about two, three months ago. Yeah. 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 Boy, time's flying. Yeah. Okay. And you flipped your. Yeah, I was. Um, I was driving home. Sorry, excuse me, like the hiccups. I was driving home. Um, it was two days before Christmas, and um, it was snowing on and off. But um, basically, I was sixteen miles away from my parents' house. And I live like three hours away from my parents' house over in Salt Lake. Mm -hmm. Salt Lake is three hours from Elko. And I make that trip in like constantly, constantly. I make that, I know that road like the back of my head. Um, but anyways, I usually travel with my cat, Jennifer, Jennifer Aniston. (laughs) (laughs) I travel with her, um, and she loves my parents like she loves grandma and grandpa time <laughs> but <laughs> she wants to go home to see her her, her parents or yeah grandparents pretty or much yeah okay um so this is kind of part of but when this past summer um last year i the they had to do some maintenance in my um apartment so i had jen live with my parents for mm-hmm. like a couple months and she had to like live outside with my barn cat Liger who's like 10 years old mm-hmm. and um she loved it oh yeah she loved it and so that's a little um side note yeah a, what I can't remember the word I'm looking for preface um so I'm driving home and I'm like 16 miles away from my parents' house and the snow just sucked us in. I mean, it like came out of nowhere. I was coming up on this ridge Mm -hmm. and the snow hadn't blown off the road. And, um, so I, my truck started hydroplaning and I let go of the wheel because that's what I've always been told to do. And it launched into the median and then I rolled a couple times times maybe just once i was awake for the whole thing but so like delusional um traumatized yeah Uh, traumatized (laughs) um so i launched into the median and rolled and um jen was asleep on my lap when this happened and when i rolled all the windows shattered and when i stopped rolling i was on my tires i was right side up and um I immediately re- realized that Jen wasn't in the cab with me anymore, mm-hmm. and um, just probably maybe a good thing almost. Yeah, that she did get tossed. Yeah, you know. yeah, and people keep saying like you need to, you should have had her in a carrier, and I'm like, I don't, I don't know, doesn't matter. Yeah, um, <laughs> she was on my lap. She wasn't in a carrier, and when the window shattered, I lost her, mm-hmm. and I stopped rolling and realized she wasn't in the cab so i took the keys out of the ignition and climbed through the driver's side window because the door was lodged shut and i just started looking for her everywhere basically on my hands and knees and i kept going back to my truck well i went back like once and looked in but um this lady 
all of a sudden it started shouting at me, telling me to get out of the road. And so I did, and a semi came and demolished what was left in my truck. Oh, my God. And did a hit and run, kept driving. Wow. So it was it was within like two minutes of me climbing out of of the driver's side window to look for Jen, and um, yeah, it's I if I wouldn't have crawled out to look for her, I mean, who knows what would right. have really transpired? But but your car was basically smashed into bits. Yeah, <laughs> my he pretty much almost cut my track the my truck in half. Like mm-hmm. the bed of my truck was looked like an envelope just all folded up but um so he did a hit and run he kept driving and um so i don't know jen kind of saved my life for me to get out and look for her um and so i looked i continued to look for her in just panic and then the highway patrolman pulled up and I told her that she was gone and to look for her. And then I climbed in the ambulance and like right before I left for the hospital, the high, highway patrolman came in and was like, we still can't find her. We're looking for her. Everyone's looking for her. Everyone knows. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, okay. And I was just freaking out about it. And I spent the night in the hospital. And then the next day, um, I got on Facebook and I, kind of told my story said what happened mm-hmm. and i posted this video of jen that i had made mm-hmm. a while back i didn't make the video for this i just had it and um so i posted that and a little bit about what happened to us and it blew the fuck up like <laughs> it was so crazy i think right now it has over like six thousand views and um people just started sharing it and Mm -hmm. were like way moved about it Mm -hmm. and i mean i i got out of there with like a broken finger and a collapsed lung but like my heart was broken yeah i that was a new level of heartbreak you were emotional it was more the the injuries for you because of losing your cat yeah were were more emotionally yeah Damage, damaging, yeah. Than than actually the physical ones, though. A collapsed lung is pretty serious. Yeah, yeah. it hurts like hell when I sneeze. But yeah, what? It hurts like hell when I oh. sneeze. I have to. Anyway, Jen. Um, yeah, I. That was a new level of heartbreak for me, and um, that was really hard. You'd be talking to a completely different person right now mm-hmm. if I hadn't f- found her, but. After that, um, my video blew up on Facebook, and then I had, like, biologists and, like, cat rescuers trying to get a hold of me um, from, like, all over the country teach, trying to teach me about cat rescue, and um, just, like, every single person I knew on social media reposted my story, uh-huh. and just, I mean, Jen was all she was yeah jen went viral is what you're trying to yeah say. She, I, yeah i've never well you and jen went viral is really what it is pretty much yeah. i mean when i would get on facebook usually like it instead of being like so and so commented on this and so and so commented on this i would open my facebook and it would be like you have 68 new comments and i'm like what <laughs> <laughs> um i uh big week (laughs) yeah so um 
that was blowing up. But then the craziest part is she wasn't turning up. And I um, stayed at my parents' house for like two weeks after the accident and just was looking for Jen pretty much day. I would go out in the day and go out at night. And uh, I just covered my bases. And when I ran out of flyers, I made more. And um, I made sure to go to, I mean, where the accident happened was a rural area. I mean, it wasn't, there was a neighborhood out there, but it was like everyone has a couple acres, you know, they're pretty right. spread. Sure. So um, there were plenty of places that she could have gone to hide. And I began to, like, set my clothes out near the accident site and um, her litter box, um, anything we could find with her scent, we just put out in Rendon, Mm -hmm. Nevada. This is where it happened in Rendon. And uh, so it just kept blowing up on the Internet, and she wasn't turning up. And then, like, two weeks had gone by, and the hospital bills were um, racking up. And I had to go back to work. And so it was one of the hardest things to leave without Jen and come back to Salt Lake. Mm. It was gut-wrenching. Um, and But before I had left, I had gone out to every house that I could see within the crash site and mm-hmm. put a flyer on their home. And if they weren't there, I would leave a flyer in their doorway right. or on their car. And... The lady who found her. So I, it was two weeks and two days. I had been back in Salt Lake for two days. And um, I got a phone call from my mom at like 10 o'clock at night, which is totally out of the norm because she goes to bed at like 7, 8 o'clock. because well, she gets up so early Yeah, she gets morning. up at 4 a.m. Yeah. So I immediately knew what it was. And I just like sat down in my kitchen and just started bawling. <laughs> And it was, like, going from totally heartbroken Mm -hmm. to, like, complete harmony. Mm -hmm. Because I just could not figure out, like, what I was supposed to learn from all of this. Mm -hmm. And when I was supposed to start grieving or everything was... Oh, God, I was so heartbroken. But, um... Yeah. Then we found her. And the lady who found her um, had to go to her neighbor's house to use the phone to call my mom because she didn't have a phone or a computer. I just love this this story. So she some, she had a flyer or mm-hmm. something. Yeah, I had left a flyer on her home, yeah. and she had had the flyer mm-hmm. for a couple of days, and then Jen showed up on her porch one night. That's just such an incredible story. I know. It really is remarkable. I'm still blown away with it all. I can't even. I can't even believe that she's in my apartment right now, waiting for me. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's so crazy. Yeah, it really. It, 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 well, first of all, that you flipped your truck and then it was blown. You know, kind of smashed yeah, into yeah. pieces. I landed basically. in oncoming traffic. Yeah. I was going on I eighty westbound yeah. and landed on I eighty eastbound. And, and the cat, the cat was, you know, on your lap and windows blew out and probably flew out, luckily. Or, yeah. You know, would have been easily could have, you know. Yeah. Um, you know, died from the impact or been crushed or something. So there's so many facets to this story, which mm-hmm. is remarkable. 
Yeah, and I, I just knew she wasn't dead. I knew she wasn't you dead. You felt connected. You still felt like there was Yeah. That. Well, I just figured I there were so many highway patrolmen out there with flashlights by the time that it had all gone down that someone would have seen some blood or some, you know, right. something. Yeah, yeah, right. And it was snowing, so of course they would have seen some blood. Yeah. Or that's I just knew she was alive. I knew that she didn't die in the accident. Right. And, yeah, it was such a weird headspace that I was in for those two weeks and two days. Hmm. And, yeah, everyone thought, yeah, everyone thought she was dead, Hmm. but I didn't. And then we found her and they were like, I thought she was dead. And I was like, how dare you? (laughs) 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 But, um, yeah, she's different now. She seems bored in my apartment. Well, yes. I mean, living out. She she was uh, literally living outside. Yeah, and I think those like couple months at my parents' house, Mm -hmm. like probably hugely came in her advantage because we have coyotes out there, and she's had she did have to survive Mm -hmm. outside. Yeah, Mm -hmm. there's no doubt. And the the place that we found her, they had horses and stuff. So maybe she smelt the familiar smells and yeah. But she she just must have been hiding the two weeks that I looked for, her. and that's what the bio, the cat rescuer told me that she was probably doing is hiding. Yeah, and that it's likely even if she see, like hears your voice that she won't come out. Right. Well, and again, um, she, this was a, a traumatizing event for all of you. So yeah, you know the healing process will take time. It's not, but it, it's one of those things that is it is a, a great healing story yeah you know it's it's, it's a great journey yeah people were really touched by what had happened and i i still feel like the people aren't satisfied like they needed a reunion video (laughs) or something like everyone's on the internet was like yay so excited but they needed more they needed more yeah well it's it's the good stories right no yeah all right, I'm, I'm going to shift a little bit here. Is that okay? Yeah. All right. So what brings you joy in life? What What are the things that kind of stand out and bring you joy? That... Mm, the things that feed my soul and yeah. keep me grounded. Yeah, what are those things? Um, probably my photography right now. Um, yeah, it's given me kind of like a new... Um, peek into myself. Um, yeah, and music is huge. I'm music. I have a huge spiritual connection with music. Hmm. Um, that's probably like as spiritual as I get. Is mu- is with music? Is going to a concert, going to shows, yeah. and just being grateful. Well, and talking about a connection, you know. How music connects people right? mm-hmm. from all different walks of life. You don't don't worry about politics, religion, and all that kind of stuff for the most part. You Absolutely, know? and everything. We just sort of all kind of have that that, that uh, common um, way of expression, and uh, the muse of music, so to speak, really does bring healing and connection. Yeah, um, and so yeah, with that too. Um, and you and I talked about this beforehand, so. <laughs> We're go- I'm going to explore it because instead of asking what your favorite 
or song was or what's the most memorable song of the year. I'm going to shift and do the uh, the playlist that we would, we would play at your funeral. <laughs> I'm down. If you have one. So do you have a couple songs that, uh, you know, at, at that moment that you're going out, you know, what what that would be like and and uh, I guess what what would represent in some way your life? Yeah. Um... And for all you people thinking this is a bit morbid, it is, but it's not. <laughs> Because the truth is, it's it's something important, and I've been working on my playlist for about ten years. So, yeah, yeah. Um, I have a huge attachment to this um, Texas country band called Lucero, uh-huh. and a lot of their songs are singing about alcoholism and uh-huh. your rock bottom. Yeah. Um, I don't know if I could pick one song from them, mm-hmm. um, but gosh, they just tug on my heartstrings like no one's business. Um, probably Wasted is one of my favorite songs. Actually, or, I, know, I do know that song. Yeah. Um, That's actually a really good song. Mm-hmm. Um, God, they have so many good ones. Nights like these, slow dancing, um, 16. Um, actually, speaking of spiritual moments, my mom and I went to a music festival together last September and I saw Chance the Rapper for the first uh-huh. time. And he, he'll definitely play at my funeral, for sure. <laughs> he has one um, song called Same Drugs uh-huh. and he's singing about a a girl that he used to be with probably and um the song is about we don't do the same drugs anymore and so um wow yeah Yeah, how like she does different they don't do the same drugs anymore yeah we don't do the same drugs anymore yeah and so the relationships change yeah that one always just like gets right into my soul because it's I don't know it's there's just it's, it's so symbolic of the people that you let go of mm. when you let go of your addictions yeah. you know well on, on that note the, the idea of, of feeling a spiritual connection um, or having that experience and you you know you're talking about how music does that a lot do you, do you have what is what are your thoughts or your beliefs about faith or God or how the universe works or you know what 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 stands out to you or what you know what what's important to you on that level? Um, on a spiritual level, I I am truly atheist, mm-hmm. um, but that doesn't mean that I'm not spiritual. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, so when, I mean, the term atheism, I think, or atheist gets a little confusing for some people um and i I, and so i I was just pointed out to me at one point was there's kind of a a difference maybe between atheists and and non-theastic because the the idea of just not believing in any type of deity or or high you know the, the god or higher power or anything like that um, but believing that there's some way in which we all connect and, right. and join together, and that they said, "Well, maybe you're just non-theistic." And I went, oh. "Okay." Yeah, so, yeah. Um, I, I yeah, don't know because I, I surely I don't really believe in karma mm-hmm. in the sense that like 
if you do something good, someone's going to see it, and then good things will come to you. The universe will respond back yeah, to you. Yeah, I believe in karma of the sense is you're just your own consciousness. Sure. Like, if, if you do good things, then you tend to have good thoughts, mm-hmm. and good thoughts make for happy people. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, um, yeah, I, I mean... I believe in science, but I I don't really think there's a rhyme or reason behind what's going on. Mm -hmm. Um, I think just everyone, I mean, we're just humans. (laughs) You know, no one really. We are human. We're just in space. (laughs) Or at least that's what we tell us. No one really knows what's going on. (laughs) (laughs) No, I believe in um, evolution and science and stuff, but I definitely believe that there needs to be a little bit of spirituality mm-hmm. um you know like what grounds you what gets you mm-hmm. grounded that's probably is what's spiritual for me is music is grounding um my family is grounding um going to see beautiful places in nature mm-hmm. is grounding so um when talking about spirituality um, one of the ways that is, I think, important, at least in my life, and always has been, is the idea of connecting through nature. And, and you just mentioned this, mm-hmm. um, the the importance of that. And, and you and I, uh, we, we went down on a desert trip back in, I think you were just saying... June of 2015. <laughs> your memory is so much better <laughs> than mine. Um, what do you remember about that? That was... Okay. Um the biggest thing that I took from that is like my whole life I've never been like a punctual person I've I I I don't like making plans like (laughs) they give me anxiety Uh I don't know um and I was always growing up thinking that that was wrong and that I that I should be punctual and I should know exactly what I'm doing at what time and where mm-hmm. we're going and what these plans are and, uh-huh. and an itinerary and I'm like total opposite. Mm-hmm. So forever like go, I would you like to go with the flow, Perry. Yeah, I like yeah. to not have expectations mm-hmm. because keeping your expectations low make for the best of times. <laughs> okay, you heard that here. Okay. Yeah, and and uh, my mom taught me that when I was young and. I was going to high school dances and she, I just was like, it's whatever. And Mm -hmm. she's like, you know, sis, like the most fun you're ever going to have in your life are on those nights that you didn't plan. Mm -hmm. And so, um, but yeah, I, sometimes it doesn't translate well with people. It comes off as me being careless Uh or, but yeah, when we went on this retreat, one of our rules is that there were no plans and, (laughs) I, uh, I, I loved it. Mm-hmm. Um, there were people on in our group that didn't love there, it. There were people they wanted to know what was going to happen. What exactly next. we were going to yeah. do next, yeah. and yeah. where we were going. And Paul's just like, wait and see. Yeah. Well, yeah. I have to, I'll be honest with you, and I probably I don't know if I ever told you about that, but we don't do that on every trip. It depends on who's on on the trip. Yeah, and I because and so considering that was going to push some buttons, you used it as a diagnostic yes, because tool. Nor, because yeah. we also have 
trips where everything's scheduled out every yeah. half hour, 45 minutes or an hour or something like that. And we intentionally... I pulled that out of this one. Yeah. And so that's that's fascinating. You loved it and it was a it was a way for you to thrive and other people were just struggling with so uh-huh. much of tell me what we're gonna be doing next. I wanna know. I have to know so I can plan. I go, No, you don't. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I loved that. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I've taken I've taken that with me. But um that was awesome. What else? You I also loved the part where we didn't chat no one spoke until like eight in the morning morning silence yeah Yeah, so like everyone would wake up around six or seven you know when the sun Mm -hmm. was coming up but um we weren't allowed to speak till like 8 a.m so Mm -hmm. we would as a group sit around and make breakfast and do teamwork stuff Mm -hmm. while without talking while yeah just being silent Uh and um i thought that was totally awesome how People are able to connect Mm -hmm. and, you know, be there for each other without talking. (laughs) (laughs) Because, yeah. Well, body language says so much. And that's really most of what, most of how we communicate. We just take it for granted that talking is the biggest part of it, right? Yeah. And I'm one of those people who needs to learn to just, like, shut up and listen. (laughs) I've gotten better with age, but, yeah, I think that's huge for people to Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, th- I think that, that um, well, yeah, I, I think that I say something about that in uh, Recovering the Seed in the, in the Five Steps to Living a Wholehearted Life in the, at the end of the book about just, you know, just shut the hell up, just, all right? For real, just shut up, listen, yeah. get grateful, get wise, yeah. and just listen. All right. Good point. Good point. All right. Um, I think that we are going to end things there today. This uh, uh, We've gone over just about everything you can imagine today. So, and, and <laughs> You've more. covered a lot of bases. We covered a lot of ground today. Um, Perry, thanks so much. Thanks I for having me. I appreciate you joining us today in the Zen Zone here of just another Bozo on the Bus. And as we usually do, we'll go out with a little Joan Armstrong. Have a great week, guys.
<laughs> okay. All right. Um, I, I'm not sure what to call this, but we're going to, I guess we'll call it a, uh, what do you call, what do you call it?